Hello, my name's Toby Haydock, and I'm the closest thing that the Doctor Who universe has to a Z-list celebrity. You'll find me nestling on that illustrious roster, somewhere between the person who sold the knitting needles, which were used to create the replica scarf for Tom Baker's Madame Two Swords model, uh, and someone who once got off with the tar and wood beast at a school disco. So, hello! <laughs> I've decided to spend as much time as I can in 2013 interviewing as many people from the world of Doctor Who as possible. My task, should I choose to accept it, which I have, is to get a first-hand anecdote from every single televised Doctor Who story. So, I've gone on an intrepid search. Do get in contact, by the way, if you know people, and it would be cheating if I got companions and people like that straight away. So I'm trying to get people who who maybe uh, haven't featured prominently on the DVDs or, or people I just know, because that's easier. Uh, so perhaps somebody out there could start a list and, you know, cross off the ones that we do. I'm sure it will sort of cause all sorts of arguments where some people will go, I think you'll find that wasn't an anecdote, that was just a passing reference. Do not cross out the androids of Tara. And some of you, you will go, oh no, but that anecdote was canon, and there'll be all sorts of grumpiness. Um, uh, but if your list does contain the words uh, 1000 or whatever it is, BC, uh, a.k.a. the mutants uh, inside the spaceship and of St. Bartholomew's Eve, I shall refuse to recognise its validity. So, uh, I'm off now to go and interview my first two, <laughs> shall I call them victims? Yes! Uh, let's see what they've got to say. Oh yes, um, disclaimer, the technical quality will be rubbish, probably, because whilst I'm quite good at tracking down people from Doctor Who's history, I'm a technical incompetent. Live with it. Right, well, I'm in a pub with two people off of TV's Doctor Who, so I'm going to ask them to say who they are and why I'm talking to them about Doctor Who. Good evening. <laughs> who are you? <laughs> I don't know, but whatever it is, I'm wearing their coat. <laughs> All right, well, I'm Stephen Mansfield. I, uh, well, I was a... What, what did we do? Stephen How Mansfield's would you describe well-known it? spinster of this How parish. How would you describe what we did? We were freelance... Um, it's called Mansion to Get Away With It for no, five no, years. No, no, we were freelance um, uh, prop and mask makers, no, model makers just, and stuff. No, it just affects people. No, 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 they weren't effects. We didn't do explosions and things. They were, mar- they were proper masks. Proper design things, not the old rubbish so that Mike used dist- to do. You're ignoring, the destro- <laughs> you're ignoring the destroyer then. Yeah, he was a mask. Yeah, but it also was a- it was an effect. No, it wasn't an effect. Yes, he was. No, we, it what, wasn't, no. So I hallucinated those six waxes that we laid up. Yeah, there was the an under- effect and involved, cane. but it was a mask. And the melting uh, of cane. It was a ma- yeah, they were their effects, yeah. Yeah, there we go. Thank you, much. Not, thank you not- very much, Phil, as I rest I my case. Thank you very much, good night. All right, whatever. You did it professionally, Sue, but you, before that, you, you were saying before that you won a competition yeah. to design a Doctor Embarrassing Who. Embarrassing enough, I, I think it was Rivali. <laughs> Remember that magazine, dude? Um, no, nobody does. <laughs> I, well, I won the designer monster, whatever the hell it was, for Rivali, and I got carted off the vision, uh, visual effects department and the BBC to go and watch, I'm sure it was, uh, Face of Evil being recorded. 
Great, we cannot face evil off the list. This is the first of these podcasts. <laughs> and we have, and we're, I'm hoping somebody online has got a list of all of the Doctor Who stories and will cross them off as they each get a mention. So there's an anecdote from the face of evil. That's the first one there. <laughs> not put, much put, of an anecdote, Put though. that in your book. There it goes. And smoke it. Okay, you've got another one? What well, do you remember of the face of evil? She can't remember anything. Uh, and Louise <laughs> Jameson was plastered in makeup. Absolutely inch thick. She'll um, love hearing this. Then. Native, like, <laughs> laid on with a trowel, which quite surprised me. She looked very fetching in her outfit, her leathers. Uh, Tom Baker looked scary as usual. Um, and um, I quite like the bloke that played, like, the second in commander it was of the Sever team, or whatever it is, that tribe. Yeah. Is it uh, Leslie Schofield? That's it. And um, he joined us. We had uh, part of the competition thing was you went and had dinner with all of them so it was like um, I think Tom was at dinner or he might have sodded off and done something else um, but it was definitely the others there and there was one of the writers there and I got a weird feeling for some surreal reason it was Robert Holmes because I remember being terribly terribly impressed but I can't guarantee that 100% but there was a writer there director there producer there um, and some of the cast and then we were showing around visual effects, which I already knew of, so that was um, a very easy visit. And um, shown just watched the recording. And, um, and so, yes, that was one of my many visits to, to Tom Baker land of who, so to speak. And you told Philip Pinchcliffe off? Well, on a different occasion when I visited, um, they were about to do uh, Deadly Assassin. And he asked me, what did I think of the Time Lords? And I said, I thought of that illustration by Frank Bellamy that he did ages ago in the Radio Times where you didn't really see what they were and it was more kept to sort of <clears throat> these kind of almost kind of equivalent to the Royal Family Universe. And he goes, we're going to bloody hate these, what I'm going to do with them then, because I see them as being a kind of um, grouchy old men in a society that's failing, that's just decaying. And I got the ump. <laughs> and, I, and he said, yeah, you're, gonna, you're gonna really not going to like what... Because it, and, um, which is weird, because in the end I enjoyed Deadly Assassin. I wasn't terribly smitten on the set. But, um, yeah, he pretty much stayed with his vision of how he saw the Time Lord. But the upside of that was, of course, is James Aitchison's fantastic Time Lord outfit, which really was, as far as I was concerned, stole the show. Well, and then many years later, you both end up working on... So, Steve, how did your involvement come for working on the show? Did, did, did Sue sort of bring you into it? Well, I, I'd, I'd known her. She, she, she actually just lived around the corner. That was the main thing. And I knew Susan through Kevin. And we always used to go have a giggle and so on. And I wanted to work in, in the industry, doing this kind of work. Susan had started doing little bits here and there. And... Um, but, as it happened, we, we, we both started... To, I, well, I'll tell you what it was. I wrote to Spitting Image, as was where most was my... You bypassing Terrorhawks, then? Yeah. What do you Kinda. mean, yes? Well, whatever. Was it, yeah, was you, it I think your first version oh, there was doing a tree for Terrorhawks. Yeah, but I, yeah, I did a, right, well, I did a tree for Terrorhawks. <laughs> and Susan, what, and I what was, it was working on Susan the was working on Terrorhawks. She was working on the puppets. And I, did, I uh, through a friend of my brother's, did some trees, palm trees, all of these 
Jerry Anderson things. He'd have palm trees here, which is great. Mine actually had coconuts and dates on, which actually you can spot them if you can be bothered. <laughs> In Terrahawks. There they are. They look great. Better than the Thunderbirds ones. Anyway, the point is, Susan had done the, the puppets for this thing. Some and we And through Kevin, we, we sort of met up. And we decided well, it might be a, a good idea to work together. And Susan had already been starting to dip her toe in, in, in freelance. I'd not long left college. And I, uh, I was still very young at this point. And um, she, uh, she got some work at the BBC that needed a little bit of mechanical stuff or something other than what she did. So I became involved then. We started working together. And then we just thought this was a good idea and went to the BBC. It coincided with... At visual effects department, a little raft of new designers were taken on. What happens is, um, at visual effects, or in any, I suppose any department of BBC, if you're a designer there, you have your favourite group of people. The new designers didn't have a favourite group of people, they were just looking for anybody new. We latched on anybody to cheap. some really good, new, and exciting designers, a guy called Andy McVane, Perry Brown, I can't think of any of the others. <laughs> Perry, there was. Um, Oh, come on, think of some of the others. I can't think of many of them now. The main two are Andy and Perry. And I think, to be fair, of their kind of, you think of them with a class of whatever, at visual effects, they then, they, the, the two of them started to, to do, uh, you know, to, to take hold. They were, they were very promising, they were doing good stuff. And Susan and I were really only interested in forwarding our careers and doing anything. And we did all sorts of stuff. Did Kenny Everett? Read that as being the money viewers. Yeah, but we did. What did we did? Kenny Everett. We did loads and loads, loads of and little loads and of large shows. Um, the summer special. The, the, the generation summer special, game. The generation game. Loads of things. And then finally, because Susan had been going to the BBC for a long time, she'd got friendly with Stan Michael Mitchell, Stan Mitchell, who is the most. I mean, he's my great hero in terms of people working in the business. He'd been working there for a long time. Susan got to know him. Well, now, the quick one that's up is I happen to be dropping off a job at Visual Effect. I walk past an open doorway and I immediately recognise a clay sculpture of what's going to be the Peter Davison version of the Silurians and a load of boards of photos up of the old stuff. And so I go up and have a word and he goes, oh, you, you, you know what these are then? Oh, yes. I started having a discussion about the old ones and how the old ones' mounds moved with these um, wood spatulary things inside there, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, cut a long story short, I gave Stanley advice about that. We struck up a friendship and um, Stanley sort of remembered. And then when um, he... Used, Stanley used to like going on skiing holidays. And, um, and so when he used to sod off and uh, go skiing for about skiing, he would sometimes recommend to the producers that we would come in and finish off or take over what he'd started. And so our first sort of dip in the, the water of Doctor Who was um, the Tetraps. The tetraps yeah. And that was basically, Stanley had sculpted up the heads and um, all the rest of it. And basically he said, I know of a couple of people that could do the paint and finish on these and the herring up, and that was us. And then it, what sprung from there also, we ended up doing the, the sculpts for the little model ones the that ones hang upside hanging down up in the, the cave. in the cave, Because <laughs> he'd done one, I think, which was beautiful. Everything Stan does is, is lovely. So as, as Susan said, done the heads, done one of these tetraps hanging upside down in the cave for a model shop. And then we did slightly smaller version and then a smaller version still. So it had a kind of false perspective thing. That was the idea. 
and um, he recommended us. So we sat there, didn't we? And we mm. just we put all the fur on. We coloured them. We we they Comedy basically sent us the the raw latex head, and we put the hair on, coloured them, did the, the the other little miniature versions, and then that was our first thing. And we rolled up for the studio. We we turned up for the studio because we were there only for the dressing of that little miniature cave, weren't we? Yeah. We weren't there for the mask or anything. That was wardrobe actually they were dealing with that guy called what was he called Roger Oldhamstead that's it who did the 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 costumes for these things we went for a meeting with them we, we met them it was it was it's very hazy but it was a, a real kind of a mad period because suddenly we were doing this I remember you phoning up at home saying you won't believe what we're doing now oh it's Doctor Who but by this time we were interested in forming a career doing all sorts and Doctor Who suddenly it was like all oh, right okay well it's Doctor Who so I think we went in with a, a very good mindset we were but very excited we were, but we were we were interested well, we were in, in doing well we were both also working at that point starting to move into spitting image weren't we that's right yeah so so we had a not to be grand about it it was kind of like very exciting on the one hand but actually, we had a bigger picture, which was, well, we, you know, we want to be doing other stuff as well. Oh, how lovely that this has, you know, come to us and we're, we're going to do, give it our best, which we did. But it wasn't like we were absolutely foaming at the mouth. It was very sort of sensible the way we were about it. It was a step it. in the right direction. It was a, yes, it was. And we were very kind of um, grown up about it. And I think that was probably the best thing that could have happened for us. If, if it had come any earlier... I don't know, but it was absolutely wonderful. The also, it helped because being nice. at Spitting Image, it means we could use their facilities. Which is what we did. And employ some of the, some of the people yeah. up there right. to do the phoning yeah. and all the rest yeah. of it yeah. for these, yeah. these silly bloody masks and things. So, Spitting Image funded Doctor Yes, Who, which no, I think did. Roger yes, slightly yeah. got yeah. a grip on as the years went on. I think he was realising well, what Well, he didn't happening. mind. He went, I. Cause I um, Why is Michael Heseltine blue and has horns? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it was purely, it was a completely. A fiscal thing, which was that um, we, um, by the time we were starting to do uh, masks that needed or anything that needed to be uh, cable controlled, so, so, so you know the idea you get cables into something, you can make the thing move, and we did that twice with the, the destroyer and with Fifi, that little dog thing we did. And um, so therefore you have to make the thing out of foam latex well it was all the thing at the time nowadays it's silicon nobody really uses foam latex now but uh, foam was the big thing then Spitting Image was entirely made of foam everything in the show was all the puppets were foam and so on and um, uh, we wanted to explore this you know this, this you know go down this route and I went in to Roger one day and said Roger Roger Law who was half of Flack and Law, who was, you know, they were very much behind Spitting Image. And I said, Roger, I, you know, I've got some freelance work. I was working there full time at, at the time. And I said, I've got some freelance work. It's for Doctor Who. Uh, it's this, you know, whatever. And I would just, can we just have the slops from, <laughs> from the, the puppets? Because the bottom line is when you're doing foam, you have to make up much more foam you than you use. need, than you use for the, the <coughs> thing. So there would always be the, the leftovers. 
and I said, could we use the leftovers? And this stuff is incredibly, or was incredibly expensive to make and produce. You had to have a massive sort of Makes workshop sense. set up to, to produce it. And it was great. And I, so what we did, we did our bit. We took the moulds in, and then the guys who were doing the puppets would, inject would then just well. inject the, what was left over from the puppets. And so we got very <coughs> expensive material. BBC couldn't have afforded um, to be able to use on our on our characters, so it worked terribly well. I think Roger used to think it was great fun, you know, uh, in an ironic way that, that, they, we, were they, they, that we were nicking all his materials. It was for the Beaver. They, I think, they weren't they, because it was for Doctor Who. It was great. It was lovely. It was a bit of fun. We just thought it was brilliant because we had something wonderful and wonderful material at our disposal. And the production office, I think, just thought, bingo. Yeah. I don't know how they're, getting, they're doing this, but they're doing us some lovely stuff. And that's how it, that's kind of how it, it worked out. And um, I don't think it was it. I think it wasn't entirely that we brought lovely materials to it. Hopefully the, the design element sort of kicked in. It would have cost but, them a lot more. But it would have more. cost them an awful lot more. They, they were relatively inexpensive, the things that we did. And I just think, well, I know from conversation I had with J&T many years after, he said, well, we just knew you, you were doing some wonderful stuff and that you actually had access to the most wonderful materials. So it was like, bingo, you know, we'll keep going with you. <coughs> to the extent of, you know, going beyond his remit, which is like, well, not going through visual effects to the extent that in the end, with the Destroyer, we were commissioned from the top office. They didn't even bother going through visual effects. They just said, right, we'll just go to you. Don't bother with visual effects, didn't they? And that was it. Basically, everyone had yeah. a bit of money left over from their budget and they came to destroy a costume and all the rest of them. Any bit of scrapings you could put towards a building this bloody blue thing. Here, throw some quid in the bucket and when we can hand it to these two idiots and they'll wander off and do their best. It's, because nobody, it's, to be perfectly honest, nobody really wanted to know about the destroyer. They were all wary no, of it. Yeah. And so we ended up being the idiots and go, yeah, I'll knock that out for a fiver. But also, it was a, I remember it was a very weird setup where you had X amount of money and you had the different departments. You had visual effects, wardrobe and makeup. And they all wanted... They all either wanted the kind of glory of doing it, so they'd rather... But they didn't really want the expense of doing it. So, so they would have the kind of... When we did the hemophores, there was this great kind of bartering going on. If you had the right people, so with the hemophores, you had Ken True, True who yeah. designed them, Dee Barron, who was the, the makeup. makeup lady, and between them, they they kind of they got their budgets together and were able to cough up enough money, and then they involved us, so it was a little bit cheaper, and we did our bit and so on. I know they, well, they, the visual effects department did have a go at the hemophores didn't they and they didn't like yeah that. Mike Tucker did uh, yeah. um, a maquette that they in the end they didn't go for which was a leech looking type affair yeah um, but they went for our comedy versions instead yeah I think I mean we were very lucky because uh, J&T used to like the stuff that we did and just seemed to trust what we did and I think we repaid that by doing some good stuff JNT looms large over the final years of, That's not difficult. of, of Doctor Who, um, <coughs> and is a controversial figure in, in Doctor Who history. How yeah. did you find him? He used to um, give us uh, a lot of rope by which 
I mean, you could actually hang yourself in the end, but we never did. But he always gave us a lot of opportunity. We, we, we always did our best, and so therefore, when we would have these ups and downs with him, and we really only did have one sort of falling out, well, not even a falling out, there was a, a little bit of a, a creative difference over the destroyer. Creative differences, yeah. No, it was, it was like that. And when you're freelance, you go in on an odd day, you come out, you're not really there. When you're full-time anywhere, a, a creative difference... Uh, it doesn't seem very much. If you're freelance, you're going on one day and you have a falling out. Yes, it seems like a big deal. It wasn't really a big deal. He he had been rather uh, erroneously brought down to television centre by the makeup designer, who shouldn't have even brought him down anyway. He didn't need to come and see this. It was half finished. It wasn't what we'd entirely described, but then it wouldn't have looked like what we'd described until it hit the studio. And he was good enough to... You know, say at the studio, oh yeah, it looks great. Yes, he had a little gripe about it. Oh, why is it blue? Little. But later on, when I talked to him, he would say, yeah, it was the most wonderful thing. It was just brilliant. I, I, I think you have to take into. He did have the good grace account, to admit when he was wrong. Yes, and you have to take into account he was under a massive amount of pressure. If you're in charge of a program, which at that time was utterly unloved by the BBC. Yeah. And so he's there doing this, and you're trying to do the, the best you can. And just one of many elements yeah. he's got to get on and track. He, and he, I think he was a very decent chap. I think he, he, he could have his, you know, funny moments. But um, I, I'm very defensive. I do get grumpy about people who have a view on him because I think overall what he did was, was, was pretty good. I think, yes, he, he made some silly decisions and so on, but... Overall, he did a good job. He kept the thing going, kept it going, and he's, from our point of view, his heart was well, utterly like in the right place. Fifi. His brain might not have been they, in the right place sometimes, <laughs> but his heart was. Well, definitely. Fifi, they did try and go out of their way to understand what they would need to do a puppet. Yeah, story, yes, didn't yeah, they? yeah, yeah. And so it's, it did take on board. Well, we things. did a drawing. I did a drawing that was completely different. The, the, the set designer did this weird fluffy white ball. Do you remember? It was like a fluffy ball with a bow on yeah, it. And Jane said, oh, no, 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 we'll, we'll go with this. And they built raised sets. They did also... Funny enough, in fact, with the Destroyer, they built a raised set, which, um, to give Susan her credit, we, we had this huge meeting whereby, how can you make this character, the Destroyer, this is, look more impressive... We'll shoot it from down below, shoot it from below, light it this way, da-da. which, as you know, the, the BBC cameras, they cannot do anything. They're, they're kind of like stuck. They're like a, a particular size. They built a raised set. They did all of this. OK, now you've got the sword that goes in the ground. Maybe there's an element of that in it. That's lovely. Well, you need, you know, you could have got around that. I think there's some wonderful shots in that, some wonderful imagery. That comes from them being actually a little bit more imaginative, thinking, how can we make this look a bit more interesting? And, and all of those shots, I think, the, with the Destroyer, I think he's great, but it's not least of all because I think the director took on board just us rabbiting on. I mean, he didn't have to listen to any of us, but just light it fairly darkly, shoot it from low down, do this, do that. And I think it works terribly well. I'm very proud of it. I don't care. I'm hugely proud, but I think he works very well. Um, well a lot of people, what, I think they don't like the story. They do admit they think they're just yeah, really yeah. good in it. But not least of all, because I think, and again, this is to, to weigh in for J&T, he was, at that point, 
as a producer what was an incredibly mature producer, by which I mean he was being guided brilliantly by people like Andrew Cartmel, who knew exactly what he wanted to do with the show. It was like, I don't know, he was working like a producer should, which is surrounding yourself with very good people, doing a good job. He wasn't putting his boot print on it so much then. He was just surrounding himself by very good people, I think. And I think it was starting to become a rather sublime... If it had gone to a season after, I think that would have been magical. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think there was so much excitement thinking, well, having done this, this could be, you know, the next thing could be wonderful. They, you know, there was a great tranche of writers, Marcus yeah. and Ben Aronovich. Um, oh, what's it, Brig, Nicholas Briggs. Nick Briggs. Uh, Nick, not Nick Briggs, no. no. Ian Briggs. Ian Briggs, Ian Briggs. Ah, not Nicholas Briggs, Ian Briggs. Not Nicholas Briggs. No, 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 no. Um, and some great people. He was surrounded by some very good people who really wanted it to look very good. And then, of course, <laughs> it was stopped, wasn't it? That yes. was it. But it could have been wonderful. Well, there, was, uh, there, was two, there were two <laughs> things I had to ask you. One was, and I can't remember the name of the thing now, so we'll come back to that, but you melted Edward Peel's face. Yes. In oh, a yes. Scary. Yeah, 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 we didn't yeah, melt yeah. Edward Peel himself, but yeah. we had a damn good go on a bit of plastic. A bit of wax. Yeah. Well, Stephen's the one that... You might as well take over me. You're the one that sculpted the damn thing. Well, we did it. We, I have to say, they wanted to do this melting head... And I had all sorts of lateral ideas. I remember at the early meeting, like, oh, let's just do it with rubber or do something. It doesn't actually have to melt. We could... And then, no, 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 no. We want to melt this thing. And bear in mind, I've never seen... And hands up, um, which people in the room had bothered to watch Raiders of Lost Yeah, Ark. I've never seen Raiders. I've, me, I've never it? seen it, Raiders because of Lost Ark. And I haven't to this day seen it, so I don't when even know When they started talking about... The, the, yeah. Do you know, the melting sequence like Raiders of Lost Ark. Duh. Yeah, no. It's like duh, and I, I still don't even know what it looks like now. And I don't care. Because I just I think, well, care. we did our bit, whatever. But we, we did a sculpture of Edward Peel. We went in... I... I was long before I worked for Tussauds. We we had an old Madame Tussauds brochure, didn't yes, we? Yes, that we were that pouring over how they did the mould. How you do for a, that. Mold, a wax mould, and we thought, oh well, we'll we'll do it like this. And, how did um, you lift off pieces like and, that? And uh, we did this sculpture of his head. We did uh, uh, the underneath was like an under skull made of fiberglass, and there were little rubber bits. The idea that they would push the wax away. The only um, uh, stern. Uh, Instruction we had was you don't have anything no that looks cones. like blood. Nothing that you, know, you can't have any liquid, any red, nothing. Browns and yellows. Browns and yellows. So it was all kind of weird, milky colours. We did. Yeah, but actually, I what think it's papers, kind of it's kind of it works very well as it is. It looks like he's melting. It's not gratuitously, but I think what's lovely about it, you look at it. Yes, you can say, oh, that looks horrible, but actually. We, it would have cheapened it if we'd have put blood and stuff. They actually told us, don't do that. Fine, we didn't do that. The lovely thing I always remember about that is that we were there all day. We had to get there about midday. We turned up with our two structures with these melting faces on. We always worked to the uh, idea that whatever we did had to work. We always knew that there was very little time, no time for any delays, whatever. We never, ever held anything up delayed anything with anything we ever did we always made sure we had duplicates whatever and um, we got to 5 to 10 at night and 
I don't know, um, I don't know whether you know, the, the, the BBC worked on this old idea, slightly to do with, I think, old theatre hours, whereby people worked during the day, rehearsed, and then at seven o'clock they recorded things, didn't they? Something like that? So it was a bit like an old theatre thing. So, and then, then at ten o'clock, whatever happened, it stopped. The union... Turn, well, if it, uh, they, it didn't, they if you'd organised beforehand, you were going to no, pay overtime rates, no, but, but it, it was would go massive, into golden yeah, but, double yeah. time, and it would cost the studio... So you used off. to have to, at 10 o'clock, literally everything would stop. The lights would come up. didn't matter what you were doing, it would all stop. Now, what they used to do, and this probably explains a lot of the old poor old visual effects people we got to, anything that didn't add to the narrative or the story or whatever was left to the end. So if it was an effect... Which our, what ours was, it was a gratuitous effect, it didn't really matter, you could have done something else with it. But the point is, it was left to f- literally five to ten. Now that sounds very dramatic the way I'm saying it now, but five minutes in a studio is a long time. It can seem a long time, you can do an awful lot in five minutes. When they're breaking up all the other scenes during the day, you know, everything is kind of tiny little moments of action and that, and they can do it and they can get a lot in the can we were left to the end and at 5 to 10 we actually thought they weren't even going to do it yeah. they just said well <laughs> that's it they're not even going to bother and at 5 to 10 get that melting get that head on yes. like this <laughs> just to all dive in there and, we all were, and, uh, and Michael Mike Tucker and we were all there and they were there with, we were there with our hot air burners and squeezy bottles full of squeezy gunk. bottles full of gunk and that was it they, they matched in the, uh, the actor Doing the face and yes, I have to say that was very impressive because I said to Steve, it was very impressive. Wasn't here we it? go. If you, if you do blow your own trumpet, <laughs> yeah, it's surprise. But basically, they did a quick. They were doing. They were sh- clicking between two shots of the camera. One was of the, of the sculpture. One was of Edmund Peel's face frozen in frame. And then they started to do a merge, and basically, it ma- your sculpt matched it absolutely. It wasn't exactly. bad, was it? It was okay. That was that. That worked really well. And we just went for it. We we for the last four minutes, which, as I'm talking now, sounds like nothing, but in that scenario, with the whole thing set up, is an awful long time. And it melted away, and it did. And the only thing I regret hugely is that we got an instruction from the to gallery move it. to move it. Which Can was you move fatal. It? They weren't thinking it's going to be speeded Beat it up. up. So you get this. Um, <laughs> so you get that, and I, I, sh- I, I, I moved it. I just gently swayed it from the side. And I wish I hadn't. And I wish I'd had the the nous to say, oh, well, well, wait a minute, this is all going to be speeded up, which I didn't, uh, because it actually looks a little bit like it's animated, because it, it kind of it's got a bit of boil going has on. a bit of boil going on. But actually, maybe that makes it look more stupid, spacey, or something. <laughs> I don't know. It looks slightly more. The big doctor, it it's it, just it looks spacey. It kind of works, and it, it's great fun. But I utterly regret moving. I wish I'd had the nous or the sense to say, "Well, well, wait a minute. This is being speeded up. It doesn't matter." But I didn't. Well, I'm going to let you get back to your. Uh, drinks where you can uh, say libelous things about people that <laughs> we're not recording. Um, but thank you. And thank you. And there we have it. My first two victims survived. Many thanks to Steve and Sue for giving their time and uh, energy uh, and entertainment value to that 
and thanks too to Kevin Davis uh, who suggested the meetup and in fact even gave me a lift to that pub. Thanks too to Big Finish, uh, especially Nicholas Briggs for agreeing to um, drastically reduce the quality of their broadcast content by allowing my nonsense onto their cyber waves. Um, so it just remains for me to say, ooh, who will we have next week? And of course, uh, if, if you have your list in front of you, I think we can cross off, can't we? Face of Evil, Deadly Assassin. Um, so you did talk about Underworld uh, off mic, so we can't cross that off, but uh, she didn't have very nice things to say about it, poor old Underworld. Um, and then Battlefield, Curse of Frenric, Happiness Patrol, and Dragonfire. So, uh, so we could cross all of those off, so that's a good start, isn't it? And uh, I'll leave you with an admission, a little sprinkling a little soupçon of trivia uh, when I was younger and I'd only seen the word written down I actually thought the Hoomobile was pronounced the Wombile there we are, I admit it to my eternal shame uh, more bombshells like that uh, next time on Who's Round are we going to call it Who's Round? I think we should call it Who's Round or even Toby Haydoke's Who's Round should my ego get the better of me um, uh, Who's Round will it be? anyway, next time find out on this podcast thing. Bye. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, The Companion Chronicles, The Flames of Cadiz. I was surprised by the number of monks on the road. Mendicant friars begging for alms, but I'll warrant most have more coins in their pockets than any Hidalgo noble. They come! The English are here! It was chaos. Everyone running in a wild panic. I scrambled up into Grandfather's arms. Behind me, all of you! They shall not take you! We piled into the wagon with the TARDIS as he took the reins. He urged the horses forward, chasing the crowd down towards the harbour. Roll up! Roll up! Lorenzo was already drumming up an audience. For us and for our comedy, we beg your hearing patiently. There were acrobats and dancers, and then Pablo appeared, juggling knives and grinning at me. The doctor! Help the doctor! But I couldn't go yet. Ian! My friend Esteban was burning. Ian! I couldn't leave him. Hurry! Please! Father Richard saw what he wanted. I was finished. Ian Chesterton, you are charged with heresy. You will be put to death and your soul consigned to eternal damnation. Subscribers get more at bigfinish.com Coming soon from Big Finish Productions The Fourth Doctor Adventures Doctor Who The Anti-Matter so now the TARDIS is flitting randomly throughout time and space? Yes, until the Black Guardian gets tired of chasing it and then it will return to us here in London, eventually. Still, it doesn't matter. I was just going to let him know that I was heading down to... Where was it again? Bassadon Hamble. Yeah, somewhere just outside of it is called Bassadon Hamble. This is your place? Well, it's my country seat. Bassett Hall, you see. The current owner is my aunt, though she's come over a trifle odd of late. <laughs> I have more aunts than I know what to do with. Just when I think I have the set, a 
Another one pops out of the woodwork when least expected. They're like mice. The errant doctor. Yes. I was wondering how long it would take until you turned up. Give me a moment and I should be able to set it to overload. Oh, I won't pretend to have a clue what you're doing. Auntie, please, you must stop this. The poor fellow will die. That is rather the point, you abysmal goof. That's it. Are you sure? Nothing seems to be... Subscribers get more at bigfinish.com.